The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Welcome back, Refuge Church. I can tell the donuts are good today. There is a, there's kind of a gathering around those. As you guys are finding your seats, I'm going to take a moment to introduce our Advent reading. This time of year, this time of Advent, we join Christians around the world remembering that Jesus has come and that Jesus is coming. That is Advent. Jesus has come and he is coming. The word Advent simply means coming. That For centuries, people anticipated, the Jewish people anticipated that a Messiah would come and they longed for it, they waited for it, and Jesus came. And that's what we celebrate every Christmas time, that Jesus has come. We join that in a unique way in anticipating that Jesus will come again that there will be a day where there will be no more tears that will be finally fully restored. And so uh, as we take this time to read our Advent each week leading up to to, uh, Christmas Eve, when we'll read the last one, we just invite you to be in that time of patiently waiting for Jesus. I'm Dan, and this is my lovely wife, Elisa Steiner. Jesus identified himself as the light of the world. Light is used in the New Testament to describe not only Jesus' identity and purpose, but also the very essence of the gospel and the nature of the kingdom, a light shining into a dark place. This week, we consider more deeply what it means that Jesus is the light of the whole world. In him was life. And that life was the light, was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1, 4 and 5. Please quiet your hearts as we light the second candle this morning. Remember all the ways Jesus is the true light for all of humanity. bow your heads with me as we pray. Jesus, we thank you for uh, this wonderful season, season in which uh, we celebrate with brothers and sisters around the world. We celebrate your coming. We celebrate Emmanuel, God, with us. 
I just pray that through this season, Lord, you will show up in big ways to us, for us. Uh, Jesus, we pray for uh, this morning. We just pray for your Holy Spirit to uh, quiet our hearts so that we can uh, worship and fellowship in truth and spirit, Lord. I just pray that whatever burdens that we're bringing in here with us, that we will just set them aside and enjoy you and enjoy the fellowship of one another. So I just pray that you also talk to our hearts as we receive your coming. Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, Refuge Church. My wife sometimes calls me the Grinch because I'm one of those people who cannot stand Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. Like Thanksgiving is my thing, it's my favorite holiday. And if I just hear Christmas music, I, I just get mad. Right? But I love Christmas music, the good ones, not the dumb one like Frosty and that kind of stuff, I'm like, you know, Silent Night, all those great Christmas music, I'm all in, and so, and I think we got a really special treat from our kids this morning, and, so, and I'm just so grateful for their teachers and all the people who help out over here and upstairs for all the incredible things that uh, they're doing with our kids, so thanks to them, even though they're not here. Uh, this morning, we will. Uh, this is our third week uh, of our Advent uh, series, and the series so far has been Reason for the Season. This is our intro. The story of Christmas is the same each year, but we hear it in a new way. We have been changed by a year of hopes, dreams, fears, and failures. The story of Jesus finds us in that new place. Salvation comes personally. God speaking our language and sharing our spaces. In this series, we will see how God communicated personally with each person invited into the Christmas story. And we hope that you will hear his personal invitation to salvation again this year. And so, when was the last time something unexpectedly good happened to you? I heard last week, great. <laughs> For me, it was probably, uh, probably two months ago, right? And so after we had Isaac, you know, me and my wife decided we'll probably wait a year so that we'll have a second one. And when Isaac turned one, we talked and we're like, yeah, we're ready, right? So I'm like, let's go. I'm ready for another uh, little rascal. So Isaac has been a blessing and I'm like, I want more. And we started trying, and nothing was happening, you know. And probably a few months later, I started getting worried. I was like, okay. I didn't share it with my wife because I didn't want her to worry too much. But I was thinking, do I need to go see a doctor? Like, Isaac was no problem. Like, how come now we're having a hard time uh, having a second one? But as I was contemplating going to see a doctor and all of that stuff, 
She knew she was pregnant, but she didn't tell me. <laughs> and this is how I found out, right? <laughs> and so I took her on a date night. You know, she got ready. But as we were about to leave and drop off Isaac at his grandparents' house, she told me to uh, take my phone out and record a video. And I was thinking, we're just going out on a date night. Like, what's going on? Because I did not suspect anything. And then she's like, record Isaac. So I started recording Isaac. And she asked Isaac, Isaac, tell dad what's in mama's belly. And then he said, a baby in mama's belly. And I was like, whoa. And I was like, are you serious? And she's like, yeah. And so that was how I found out from my two-year-old son. So I was feeling left out that round two of babies were happening, so we're now part of it now. And so <laughs> but Isaac was the last one I expected to get that news from. Like, why would a two-year-old tell me one of the most important news that I was waiting for all year? I was expecting my wife to tell me that, but she chose a two-year-old. And, I, and as I was thinking of the sermon, I was thinking, what if Felicity paid some homeless guy, for example, from nowhere and told him, here's $20. Go tell my husband that I'm pregnant, please. Deliver this important news to my husband. What if she did that? And in a way, our story this morning is almost like that, right? Because there's this great news that we're about to read about. But then the people who got to hear this news were, were people that we wouldn't expect to receive this news because they weren't that important. And so this morning, uh, our passage is in Luke chapter 2 from verse 1 to 20. And if you have your Bible, uh, please follow along with me. So Luke chapter 2, starting from verse 1 to 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken to the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and laying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace, 
to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us. So they hurried off and found Joseph and Mary and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. And so it's not Christmas yet, so I'm not going to be focusing on the birth of Jesus. And so our sermon this morning will be focusing on the shepherds. But in, in Luke chapter 1, in verses 1 to 3, Luke starts with what's happening, and that is the birth of Jesus. But Luke wants us to know the kind of world that Jesus is entering in. And the world that Jesus will be entering in is a world that is dominated by Rome. And so what is happening in these few verses? Augustus issues an edict that everybody should go to their hometown to be registered. Now, that's not by coincidence, because the Romans do that sometimes. And the reason for that is so that you can go back to your hometown, get registered, because they want more taxes. Rome was probably getting ready for a war or something was going on. And so when people went to their hometowns, they had to pay taxes. And then in verses 4 to 5, Luke reminds us that Joseph is from the line of David. And so even though uh, Joseph and Mary lived in Galilee, their hometown was in Bethlehem, and Bethlehem was the home of King David, right? And so you have this census that is forcing Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem, where David is from, because the offset of David will be born in the city of David. And so you have probably this terrible event because no Jew was excited about going to his hometown to pay taxes that they don't want to, right? But God is using that event to lead them to Bethlehem so that Jesus will be born there as prophesied. And so Mary accompanies Joseph and Luke tells us that she's pregnant, which is a fulfillment of God's promise. And then in verses 6 to 7, it doesn't tell us for how long they were in Bethlehem, but Luke tells us that Mary gives birth to a son. The fulfillment has happened. And then Luke gives us minor details like Mary wraps the infant in bands of clothes and laid him in the manger. And so Luke is a very detailed person, right? And so for us, when we hear this, like, why was it important to tell us that Mary wrapped the baby in a band of clothes or laid him in the manger? Because from Christmas stories that we've heard, we knew that Jesus, they couldn't find a place to stay because everywhere was booked. So the manger was the only place available for them to go and have Jesus. 
And so a manger has a very elusive image because this is the first bed where, that Jesus had because there was no place for them. And this probably was foreshadowing his rejection. There was no place available, and so he had to go to the manger. And we know that during Jesus' ministry, he faced many difficulties. And then Luke transitions the story now to a group of shepherds who were just hanging out and working. And it tells us that it was nighttime. We don't exactly know what time it was, but if you are a shepherd, you are probably working all day. And so just because it was night didn't mean that you were done. They were probably there all night till morning. And so Jesus is born. Nobody knows about it. And there are a group of shepherds outside just doing their business. And what happens starting in verse uh, 8 to 20? An angel of the Lord makes a dramatic appearance and delivers one of the greatest news ever told. The shepherds hear the good news that a Savior has been born. And the angel even gave them a sign to validate that message. And so, if you read Luke chapter 1, right? Right after the angel told Mary that she was going to have a child, right? Mary praised God. And so, we have the Magnificat which is uh, Mary's song of praise. But in the Magnificat, this is what Mary says. If you have your Bible, you can go to Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 51 uh, to 54. Luke chapter 1, 51 to 54. He has performed mighty deeds with his hand. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful. And so it's the idea of upside-down power, right? Like God is now showing favor to the humble, to the lonely, people who didn't matter. And and this is just in chapter 1. And then we see it happening now with the shepherds, just in a few verses. The role reversal in the Magnificat is shown clearly with the story of the shepherds. Heaven privileges a band of shepherds with the greatest news ever told, bypassing the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, the people who mattered the most. The shepherds were among the poor of the poorest. They were despised. They were outcasts. They lived in the margins of society. They lived in the fields fields with the flocks that they took care of. And most of the time, the ships that they were taking care of didn't even belong to them. It probably belonged to a wealthy landowner who pays them a subsistence wage for them to survive with. And they may have well lost their own fields due to heavy debts to fellow Israelites and might have even had their own flocks once but had to sell it because of the taxes that Rome burdened them with. And so these people had nothing. Among occupations, shepherding was on the lowest scale, right? 
if you're a dad and your wife brought a guy home back then, and the dad was like, so what do you do for a living? You're like, I'm a shepherd. You probably won't get that girl. It was one of the lowest occupations. And here's another thing. Shepherds were considered untrustworthy. And for this reason, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. Think about that. They were so untrustworthy that they weren't allowed to testify in court. And here are the angels giving them this great story and telling them, go share it. to people who no one will believe, and yet God didn't care about that. God didn't care about their status. God didn't care about how society viewed them. Because the Son of God came exactly for those people. And so it didn't matter. And as I was thinking of this, it's like, why will God Give them this message. Why shepherds? And some of the things I came, came up with, well, through my study, was the shepherds have symbolic value in this story. David was a shepherd before he became king. And Jesus came from the line of David. The shepherd of Israel are the Jewish kings in the Hebrew Bible. The shepherd who hear of the Messiah's birth call they probably recount the narrative of 1 Samuel chapter 16, where David's anointing took place among shepherds. And so an angel tells the shepherd what they already know. Today there has been born to you in the city of David a deliverer, a Messiah, the Lord. And so they probably made that connection. Another reason was they have heard of the prophet's oracle of the year of the Lord's favor, which promises good news to the oppressed. Perhaps then they were hoping for the day of their vindication when God's restoring justice appears. And if anyone was prepared to receive this news, then it was surely the shepherds in the field. But the most obvious implication of God showing up to the shepherds and giving them this good news is that the gospel first came to social outcasts of Jesus' day as promised. I'm going to repeat that again. The gospel first came to social outcasts of Jesus' day as promised. And if you read Isaiah chapter 61 from verse 1 to 3 with me, you will see that is true. So Isaiah 61 verses 1 to 3. The spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bound the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning and garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so this is a fulfillment 
of what was prophesied. Even Jesus said he didn't come for the healthy, right? He came for the sick. He came for the lost. He came for those people whose society didn't care for, the outcast, the marginalized. The story of the gospel is for those people, and we fit right into it because in one way and another, we can identify with people back then who were marginalized, who were outcasts, who were considered unclean. The story of the shepherd is our story. And then in verse 10, the angel calms the shepherd's fear. Do not be afraid and offer to turn their great fear into a great joy. But this joy, this message is not just their message. Because they were supposed to go proclaim this message to all. Emmanuel, God with us. That is too good of a message for a few shepherds to keep to themselves. They had to go proclaim their message. But then an incredible thing happened. Because when you, when in the previous verses, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah and Mary, it was just angel Gabriel appearing to them. But in verses 13 to 14, we see a host of angels gathering among the shepherds and singing and praising God. How cool is that? And I was thinking of that. It's like, man, I'm jealous. But I'll probably be freaked out if a host of angels just appeared out of nowhere and started praising God. But then it's like, when we go to heaven, that's what we'll be doing. Praising God with a host of angels. Singing glory, glory, glory to the righteous one. Hosanna, Hosanna to the highest. What a sight to behold. And then after that, the shepherds make their way to Bethlehem without delay to find a baby, just as the angel has told them. And they revealed everything that they experienced to Mary, and Mary treasured it. And after that, they went out and spread the news of the Son of God being born. And so, what can we learn from this story? What does this story reveal to us about God, and what does it reveal about us? The first lesson is God used an unfortunate event and brought something good out of it. And like I said earlier, if you lived in that world, and if you were a non-Roman citizen, I mean, the burden of taxes was just unbearable. And whenever that edict came to go to your hometown, that wasn't a news well received by many. And yet, that was the time that God chose to take Mary and Joseph to the city of David so that Jesus will be born there. And so for us, we go through life with crappy stuff sometimes. But the good news is, God shows up in those crappy times. God uses those difficulties in our life to show up 
and remind us that he is God, just as he has done in this story. Because there is no event, no matter how terrible it is, that God cannot change and make something good come out of it. That is the God we serve. The second lesson we can take away from this story is that everyone is important to God. If you think you're not important, think of the shepherds. And if you think your life is that bad, then you have no idea what living as a shepherd was back then. And if God can take that great news to the shepherds, he, will def- he definitely does that with us because we matter to him, right? He was the re- we are the reason he came in the first place. We are the reason he left all of his glory and splendor to come here to be with us. And so you are worthy of God's love. You are worthy of God's love. You are important. You matter regardless of what's going on in your life, regardless of what you tell yourself sometimes because you feel unworthy. I am telling you now, you matter. You are important. You are worthy because that's how God sees you. And that's the most important. doesn't matter how we see you. The most important is how God sees you. Because if I was God, I probably wouldn't have given the shepherds the message. But I'm not God and praise God for that. So you are important, you matter, you are loved. And because you are worthy of God's love, during this Advent season in which we celebrate the coming of our Savior, our job is to share that message. That is one of the things that we can do during Christmas. Yes, it's great to receive gifts and all of that, but when you have the opportunity, share that message with someone. Tell them about the importance of the birth of the Messiah and what it means to you and what it means to them, especially if they haven't uh, invited Jesus into their life. This is a great season to do that. And don't worry about how they'll receive it. The shepherds, probably people didn't believe them, right? Because of their status. But it didn't matter. They were overjoyed and they carried that message. And for us too, we can do that. We can be overjoyed. We have been overjoyed with this message that we hear every year. And our job now is when we have the opportunity, which I pray that God will put us in those positions, that we will share the story of the coming of our Savior. Pray with me. Jesus, uh, thank you for just for the way you love us. And we, we are unworthy just because we are sinful and we disobey and You've called us to live a holy life, but most of the time we don't. And regardless of all of that, Lord, you see past all of that. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. And we're just grateful. I just want to pray for 
Anyone here who doesn't feel important, doesn't feel love, Jesus, I pray that the story of the shepherd will be an encouragement to them. Thank you for the story of the gospel. Thank you that the gospel was for people like us who don't think we deserve your love. And thank you that we get to hear stories like this and be reminded that you came for us. And we are so grateful for that. And as we go through this uh, Christmas season, may that be at the forefront of our heart that you came for us because we are worthy, we are loved, and we are important to you. Thank you for this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so as we uh, prepare to take communion this morning, uh, just, you know, quiet your heart. And if you need to take a few minutes to uh, reflect on what you've heard, take that time. There's no rush. But we take communion every Sunday to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us. The night before he was betrayed, he gathered with his disciples and he took bread and broke it and blessed it and told them, when you eat this, remember my body that will be broken for you. And in the same way, he took a cup of wine, blessed it and said, this is my blood that I will shed for you. So when you drink this, remember that you are bought at a price. And when you eat the sacrament this morning, remember that. And also, if you need prayers for anything, Nate is back there, and he'll be happy to pray for you about anything. And so please utilize that opportunity.